Thank you, brother. We're going to be in Mark 12 today, verses 18 through 27. And this is what it says. Follow along behind me. You can see the text on the screen there. And the Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, and he left no offspring. And the second one took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Verse 24. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you're wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. This is the word of God. You can be seated. While you're being seated, would you bow with me while we ask for God's help this morning? Father, we are grateful that we can be here, and Lord, I know that each person that you've brought in here this morning was, of course, not by accident, not by coincidence. Lord, you have a word for each one of us here. Lord, for those listening online, this is true as well. Father, I pray that you would please honor the word preached. Father, we pray that you would please speak through your word, that it would accomplish that for which you set it out to do. Lord, I pray, of course, that you would help me this morning to preach the text faithfully, not to add anything to it, not to take anything away from it. Please, Lord, speak to us and teach us the truth here that Jesus was trying to teach to the Sadducees. We pray this in Jesus' perfect name. Amen. When I was a child, uh, one of my favorite days of the week was uh, Saturday, obviously, because back then in the 80s, there was just cartoons all morning long. I would get up, eat my favorite cereal, and just plop myself in front of the TV. And the cartoons usually started around 7, and they usually went till around noon. And I could tell you when which cartoon was going to come on, and it was just one after another. And, of course, I liked a lot of them. I liked the Transformers. and uh, One of my favorites was G.I. Joe and He-Man, too, of course. But what was interesting about some of those cartoons in the 80s was at the end of the cartoon, they had this, like, two-minute little snippet that was like the cartoon characters teaching the children watching some life lessons, some way to be safe. I remember, like for example, G.I. Joe. If you fell into water that was too deep for you to touch the bottom, they taught you how to kick your legs and how to stay afloat. Also, I remember them teaching me, if you see a downed power line, don't go near it. You know, This is how you move it if you have to move it with a wooden stick, but just stay away from it. They taught you these things. And at the end, especially the ones of G.I. Joe, they would always say, now you know, and knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. Knowing is, is, is half the battle, 
And as a child, of course, I was always thinking, well, what's the other half? <laughs> Obviously, knowing that and then doing it. That's, that's the other half of the battle, actually putting into practice what you know. Well, now I know that, of course. But had I, of course, not known those things, then I, I could not have put them into practice. And what we're going to see here is that's actually where the Sadducees went wrong. Jesus shows them this is where you went wrong because you don't know the Scriptures nor the power of God. They did not know those things according to Jesus, and that was the heart of their great blunder. But let's just get into it here because here we have the next wave of people attacking Jesus. We've been just working through the book of Mark. For those of you who are visiting, we just preach. It's called expositionally. It's just chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We just go through an entire book. And so here we are. Jesus is still now in Jerusalem where the religious authorities have power. We've already seen the teachers of the law came to him when he made that ruckus in the temple and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Then we saw last week the Pharisees came to him with the Herodians and said, tell us, is it right to pay taxes or Caesar or or not? Now we have the next wave of people called the Sadducees. And if you ever learned the song as a little child, you know that The Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. And so we would sing the song, I don't want to be a Sadducee because they're so sad, you see. That's because they didn't believe in the resurrection, right? Remember that song? If you don't, don't worry. You're not missing much. (laughs) Um, So they come to Jesus and they think, oh, we're going to get him with this question. We're going to make this hypothetical situation. And it is seven layers deep. He won't be able to refute it. What are the seven layers? Well, of course, the seven brothers. There's seven brothers. And they're right when they say, in verse 19, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but has no child, the man is to take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. That was a command in the book of Deuteronomy, which we're studying in Sunday school now. That was true. That was one of the laws of the Jews back then. And so they say... Well, let's just suppose that there's seven brothers, and each one of them marries this woman, but, but, but dies before children come along, and all seven have her, and then in the end, poor lady, she dies as well, leaving no children, and they say, well, in the resurrection then, whose wife will she be? Well, before even answering their question, he says to them in verse 24, and this is really the heart of it. Is this not the reason you are wrong? He just comes out and tells them they're wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. And then he he schools them, of course, and then, as you know, he ends by saying, you are quite wrong. Well, if you have the new international version, that part at the end, at the very end, verse 27, where he says, you are quite wrong, it, it translates it, you are badly mistaken. That's why I've translated, I mean, that's why I've titled this, rather, uh, this sermon, You Are Badly Mistaken. I like the way it phrases it. It's just got more of a punch, and I think it was meant to have a punch. He was telling them, you are badly mistaken. And the heart of it is because they don't know the Scriptures, nor the power of God. 
So let's talk about those two things then. That's the heart of their problem is they don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. So let's talk about that then. Let's talk about those two things because their folly was wrapped up in those two things that they did not know. The scriptures. The scriptures, number one, are inspired. They're the inspired word of God. They always have been and always will be the very words of God revealed to man. Just as someone writing a letter might use a pen as the uh, medium to communicate his, his message, so the Lord led holy men who were moved by the Holy Spirit to write what they wrote. Like a man might use a pen, the Lord God used these holy men and moved them to write what they wrote. Now, though some portions of Scripture, as we know, are a bit more difficult to understand than others. Some are. Yes, we can all admit that. No one can say any of the 66 books, no one can say of any of them, that the main points are unclear. The main points of any scripture is clear. Like when we studied the scriptures at home, sometimes we'll, we'll come along a section with the children and yeah, it's it's, it's, it's kind of deep. And what exactly was he talking about here with this and with that? And I say, well, let's just, let's break it down. What's the main thing he's trying to say? And then the children always pipe up and say, oh, well, that God knows everything. Or, oh, that God's eternal. The main truths are clear, very clear. And no one can argue with that. When we begin to, of course, figure out the meanings of certain words and when uh, we start to better grasp the Bible's historical backgrounds, and then, of course, also when we get to understand Jewish culture a bit better, well, then we're well on our way to knowing the Scriptures fully. Now, is the end goal just to know the Scriptures, just to have an intellectual head knowledge of them? Well, of course not. These Sadducees actually knew a lot of Scripture, just like the Pharisees. That's why it would have been pretty scathing of Jesus to, to say what he said to them. Jesus did not pull any punches with what he said. So they knew a lot of Scripture, just like the Pharisees. They recognized the writings of Moses to be sacred Scripture. But the Pharisees were more conservative in one area than the Sadducees were. The Pharisees were more conservative in the area of interpretation. How do you understand these Scriptures? Well, the Pharisees had a, uh, a much more literal understanding of the written word. Well, the Sadducees, they gave equal weight to uh, traditions that were passed down. Sort of like uh, if you have a friend who's, who's Catholic, and if you've ever gotten into deep conversations with a Catholic, I actually got to sit down with a priest once and, and ask him, what about where your tradition seems to differ with what Scripture says? And um, unfortunately, um, he said in so many words that they would then interpret Scripture through their tradition, where, of course, it should be the other way around. Uh, we interpret everything in life through the lens of Scripture. Um, but the conversation was very cordial. Um, but still, it, I was saddened by that because 
Why can the Catholic Church do that? Well, because they believe that the Holy Spirit has worked through the traditions of the church. That's why they can give traditions equal weight with Scripture, or sometimes even more weight, unfortunately. The Pharisees had something similar. Um, they believed these traditions that were handed down held, held a lot of weight. And so the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead because of certain traditions. So then they brought those to the text and said, well, it can't mean that because we know this is true. We have to be very careful. When we come to the Scriptures as well, we sometimes bring these things to the Scriptures that we call pre-suppositions. Pre means before. Suppositions are things that you suppose. Presuppositions are the things that you already suppose to be true beforehand. Presuppositions. And sometimes we'll accidentally bring those to the text when we come to it and read those into the text, which the Pharisees were guilty, I mean, I'm sorry, Sadducees rather, were guilty of doing here. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in an afterlife. Nor did they believe in an unseen spirit world of angels and demons. They didn't hold to any of these views, which is why they asked Jesus this specific question about the afterlife where they failed to understand the truth was actually on a spiritual level, not on a physical one. So number one, we said the scriptures are inspired by God. Number two, I want to point this out, that the scriptures are also impossible for man. What do I mean? Well, impossible for man to understand fully without the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Why do I believe that? Well, I've got a, a slide here where I've put two verses from the two letters that Paul wrote to Corinth. In that first letter, chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. There was a time where I looked at this book, and it was just so confusing I was just like, I don't get it. I just read it and I thought, this is just so boring. I just don't get it. Just anything else but that, please. Gosh. Why was I like that? Well, look at the next scripture reference I've got here. Um, the second letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. He's talking about the Jews specifically, but this is true for any, any person who's not saved. There's a veil that lies over our hearts. As you know, you know what a veil is. There, a long time ago, uh, brides used to put the veil over their face and then pick the veil up, and then you would now kiss the bride. Remember that? In other words, a veil covering the face any sort of veil covers, blocks, keeps you from seeing as clearly, right? You're born with that veil. You're born with that lack of understanding. You're born thinking this is folly. We're all born with a natural bent towards sin. We get that from Adam, unfortunately, according to Romans chapter 5. The Sadducees were in error because they knew not the Scriptures, but specifically because they knew not the Scriptures in spirit. There was a veil still covering their hearts. You know, Jesus even said, Jesus said in John 6, the words that I've spoken to you are spirit 
and their life. This is more than a book with black text on white paper. It's actually the living word of God. It's, it's, it's living. It gives life. But how? Well, the Lord has to do a work in man before it can be seen as life. Once I got saved, like I've told you guys before when I was 19, I could not get enough of this book. I sat in my room and read it and read it and read it. I was like, who cares what's happening outside this room? You know what's happening in this book? I just, I wanted it. And I was never like that before. Why? The Lord changed me. The Lord allowed me to see where real life comes from. And these Sadducees didn't have that yet. They didn't see that yet. Why? Because like we said, it's impossible for man see these things without the Lord. Each book of the Bible proceeds from the same divine author, which is the Lord God. And we're not only dependent on the author to reveal himself to us, that's why we call this book Revelation, because God's revealing himself to man, but we're also dependent upon him to open our eyes and our hearts to truly know these scriptures. We're very dependent upon him to do that work. But once our hearts are opened and converted, that's when we see the third thing about the Scriptures. Number one, I said the Scriptures are inspired by God. Number two, I said they are impossible for men to fully understand without the Spirit. Number three, the Scriptures are indispensable for life. We cannot do without them. It's the third thing we see when we come to fully grasp the Scriptures. The Bible is our source for truth about the world, about the will of God, how to apply this truth to our life. We get all that in the Scriptures. Knowing what God said and then actually believing it and then actually applying it to our lives, that's where the change comes in. Knowing it, believing it, applying it. That's when change happens with the help of the Holy Spirit, of course. Listen to what David wrote in Psalm 19. Listen to Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8. It's wonderful, really wonderful. And he's talking about the truths that I'm, I'm telling you here. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of our Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure enlightening the eyes. So what do we see here? David is saying, this word affects you. It affects your life. Look what he says it does. They're perfect, reviving the soul. What's it mean to revive? Re means again. And that vive comes from, I think it's Latin, because I know in, the Sp- in Spanish, the verb to live is vivir which means to live. So I'm sure it's got a Latin root somewhere. That V-I-V is Latin. Anybody? Those of you who are experts at Latin, come see me afterwards. I know there's a plethora of you. So it revives the soul, gives life to it again. The law does, he says. Testimony of God makes wise the simple. These are the effects that the Word of God has on you. That's why they're so indispensable for you. They give life to your soul, Wisdom to your mind. What else? They rejoice the heart. They give joy to your heart. And then lastly, give light to your eyes. Wow. What a great deal that is. 
because I want all those things. And I get all those things in the Word of God. The first error of the Sadducees, however, according to Jesus, was they knew not the Scriptures. All these things that David's saying, these things make this effect in your life? They didn't know that. That's why their souls weren't truly living. That's why their minds weren't truly wise. That's why their hearts weren't rejoicing. And that's why their eyes couldn't see the Messiah right in front of them. Now, let's have a heart-to-heart. If you're also lacking, you personally, if you're also lacking in any of those areas, your soul unresponsive, your heart not glad, you're lacking wisdom, your eyes not seeing clearly as you want them to. And I don't mean seeing like physically, like poor Butch with his eye surgery, but he's going to get better. Of course, you know what I mean by all these things. I mean, in real life, your view of life, how you act, how you are in life, your heart here in this world. My friend, it could be that you're starving yourself because the word is what gives the effect of all these things in your life. You need to be feeding on the scriptures, of course. That's the place where you meet with God. And when you hear me saying this and you hear me say, you need to be doing this, please don't hear me as someone who's pounding, pounding. No, 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 no. Hear me as a friend sitting with another friend who's horribly pale. And I look at my friend and I say, you look like you don't feel good. You're right, I don't feel good. Are you, what's going on? I'm weak, I have no energy, no motivation. I just want to lay in bed all day. When's the last time you ate? Oh gosh, like three days ago. (laughs) Say, friend, you've got to eat. You, You need to eat food. It keeps you alive. It gives you energy. It gives you motivation, health, happiness, all these things. That's the problem. You need to eat. So hear me saying, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Actually, Jesus said that. I'm just quoting him. You're here in this building this morning, of course, for a reason. I believe the Lord always has a word for everyone who is within earshot of preaching, within earshot of the word of God in any way. He has a word for you. You, We meet with God in his word. If you're lacking in any of those areas, heart not rejoicing, eyes not seeing, mind not wise, any of those things, meet with the Lord in his word. He meets you there. He speaks to you there. But just like any meeting you go to, how you go to that meeting affects a lot, doesn't it? If you go to a meeting in a hurry, if you go to a meeting with a bad attitude, if you go to a meeting unwilling to listen, well, you don't get much from that interaction, do you? I've had plenty of meetings that I had to go to at work, and oh my word, I'd rather go to the dentist than go to some meetings I've had to be into. Not this work, no, other work I've done. It's just, ugh, I couldn't stand it. And of course, I got very little out of it. Why? Because I didn't want to be there. The Sadducees were going into their meeting with Jesus, intent on luring him into a trap, not with the intention of humbly learning at his feet. They were sneakily trying to 
trap him instead of humbly wanting to learn from him. They didn't believe in the resurrection, so why would they appreciate this Messiah before him who's going to one day conquer death by rising from the dead? They didn't appreciate him. They didn't think he was anything special. But of course, he showed just how special he was by rising from the dead. In fact, Paul says, if Christ be not raised from the dead, our faith is in vain. You realize all of Christianity hinges on the resurrection. So they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't have anything, do they? This is another reason why they're so badly mistaken. But it's also because of the second part of their folly. Jesus said that they also failed to know the power of God, didn't he? Because they misunderstood the scriptures, they also misunderstood God. Those naturally go hand in hand. If you misunderstand the scriptures, then you misunderstand the God of the scriptures. That makes sense, right? The better you know and understand God's revelation, the better you know God. Because it's through the scriptures that God reveals himself. That's very 101, isn't it? Had they rightly understood the scriptures, they would have known that God is the God of the living because he gives eternal life to those who believe him. That's why knowing the scriptures precedes having a right grasp on the power of God. If you don't have a correct or right understanding of this book, you're not going to understand God who flexes his muscles in this book. And I'm saying that very reverently. For example, I could ask you, how do any of you know that God mightily created the heavens, the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, all that is? Were you there? But you can say, I know he did that because of Genesis chapter 1. How do you know that the Lord powerfully pushed back the Red Sea and overnight pushed it back so much so that the next day when the Israelites walked through it, they walked through on dry ground? Roughly 600,000 of them, by the way. And then at just the right time, when Pharaoh's army was pursuing them, he smashed them back down and crushed that army. How do you know that? Isn't it because of Exodus? In the Psalms we read, in Psalm 93, 1 and 2, listen to this, the Lord reigns, he's robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, he has put on strength as a belt, yes, The world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The psalmist knew of this power as well. Jeremiah the prophet, speaking for the Lord himself, said this, Behold, I'm the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? And of course the answer is no. (laughs) No. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. He can do all things that can be done in according with his will. Just like these men who wrote these things in the scriptures, we know of the power of God because he's revealed it to us in his word. He's convinced our minds of its truth and he's 
converted our souls to believe. So knowing the power of God is key because it's through God's power that he exercises his perfect will, right? Stephen Charnock, he was an English Presbyterian Puritan back in the 1600s. Listen to what he said about God's power. As holiness is the beauty of all God's attributes, so power is that which gives life and action to all the perfections of the divine nature. How vain would be the eternal counsels if power did not step in to execute them. How, I'm sorry, without power, his mercy would be but feeble pity. His promises, an empty sound. His threatenings, a mere scarecrow. God's power is like himself. Infinite, eternal, incomprehensible. It can neither be checked, restrained, nor frustrated by the creature. Well said, brother. Well said. Our Lord went right to the source of the Sadducees' error. He just went right to it. He pointed at it. They knew not the scriptures because their hearts had not been changed by God, and therefore they weren't even, they weren't even in the race when it came to understanding what the Lord was actually capable of doing. Here they are saying, there's no resurrection from the dead. God can't do that. God wouldn't do that. God doesn't do that. And the reason why they were in error is because they had the wrong God. When you misunderstand the scriptures, you either accidentally or on purpose create a different God. And their God didn't raise people from the dead. There was no afterlife for their God. So Jesus begins to school them on what the afterlife will be like for those who know him, for those who've put their faith in him, for those whose beliefs line up with sacred scripture. And what's he say? Look at verses 25 through 27. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. He doesn't, notice he doesn't even, he doesn't even use some sort of apologetic argument. And by the way, apologetics is defending the faith not saying you're sorry. It comes from the Greek word apologia, which means to give a defense. So when I say apologetic, I don't mean he's apologizing. He gives this argument, I mean, he doesn't rather, even give an argument like, well, well let's talk about this for a second, gentlemen. Let me try to convince you. Now he's going to sort of do that in just a second, but he doesn't come right out of the gate with that. He just says, for when they rise from the dead, when, notice he said when, not if. He just said, I'm going I'm, I'm to shoot straight with you. People are going to rise from the dead. And when they do rise from the dead, it's not like this little argument that you're making up. They don't get married. Marriage is for here on planet Earth, for procreation and also for showing us something about the Lord and His church. According to Paul, it's a picture of Christ and His bride. Our marriages are supposed to be a small picture of that, by the way. That's why husbands are told, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And women are told to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Each one of us are given commands in connection with 
Jesus. <laughs> because marriage is a small picture of Christ's relationship to his church. But that's here on earth. In heaven, there's no need for marriage. Why? Well, because there is a groom and there's a bride there, and that is Christ, and we're the church. So he says, that's not happening in heaven. Instead, we are like angels. Now, did he say we are angels? No. He said we are like the angels. In what way? Holy? Yes. Obeying God like the angels? Yes. Worshiping God like the angels? Yes. And we could do a whole sermon on the angels and how we're different from them in heaven, but just to sum it up, that's how we're going to be like the angels. And then he goes on to say this, verse 26. And as for the dead being raised, let's talk about that now, Sadducees. Have you not read in the book of Moses? Of course you have. In the passage about the bush, they would have known that one, how God spoke to him saying, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, as if these people were still alive. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Or like the NIV says, you're badly mistaken. The Sadducees came to battle with what they thought was an unanswerable question. They thought they had a silver bullet. We got him with this one. It's seven layers deep. And Jesus showed them they actually came to the battle empty-handed. They had nothing. Why? They knew not the Scriptures, nor the power of God. So how do we apply these things to our lives? You know, I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you're fully trusting God or if you're kind of doubting Him. I don't know if you're walking in humble obedience or if you're walking in proud rebellion. Um, maybe you're just sort of stuck in the middle somewhere. Maybe you're just stuck in a rut perhaps right now in your life, can't seem to get out of a, a funk that you're in. I don't know. But I'll tell you this for sure. If you keep doing the same things, you're going to keep getting the same results, right? Knowing is half the battle. Like what G.I. Joe says. Knowing is half the battle. It is. So, let me lovingly encourage you, no matter where you are, no matter where you're landing right now, it's going to benefit all of you. Expose yourself and immerse yourself in the Word of God, in those things that you know have the power to create change in you. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It does something when we read it. It has power. Like God said, as the rain comes down and like the snow comes down and waters the earth and brings forth growth, he says, so my word, when it goes out for me, does something. It makes a change. No one is going to leave this room today unchanged because you've been exposed to the word of God. You're either going to be further softened or you're going to be further hardened because of your disbelief or further softened because of your belief. No one goes away from the word unchanged. So, knowing the truth of God's word, or even reminding yourself of it, so much, so many of us in here have been exposed to so much of the word of God, we, can, we could write books 
We've just forgotten it. So maybe you just need to be reminded of it. But that's the key to right living because it gives us the right view of who God is and what he's like and how our lives fit in to his will. Let me end with this. Sort of like the Sadducees, but, but not exactly, of course, but sort of like the Sadducees, the Apostle Peter found himself in the wrong a few times when he was following Jesus. He was once rebuked sharply by the Lord Jesus. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus said to Peter once. And then, of course, we all know that Jesus was denied by Peter three times. But Peter also learned the truth that there's a connection between God's word and God's power because he later wrote this in 1 Peter 1, 3. Look at 1 Peter 1, 3. His divine power, there it is, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How, Peter? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. He said here, God's power has given to us everything we need for life and godliness. And then he tells us how that happens. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Do you see, even Peter is making this connection between knowledge and God's power. They are connected, aren't they? Church, you'll find all the power you need to live rightly and not an error as you grow in your knowledge and understanding of the Word of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you have given to us your Word. You've revealed yourself to us. It is clear. And I pray, please help us, Lord. Motivate us if we're unmotivated. Stir in us again, Lord, if we're stagnant. Please, Lord, draw people to yourself. Draw us, Lord, closer to you through your word. Help us, Lord, to be in your word, seeing it for the gift that it is. Help us to hear your voice, Lord, as we, as we read the words. Father, I pray, speak to us. And of course, through your Holy Spirit, give us grace to walk in the truth. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come here, let's stand and sing together.